as promised at the end, I said I was going to reveal something. So uh, I think this is the first time I've said this anywhere that, you know, uh, myself, Bunzi, and about eight other people have been working on something called OmniSat for about eight months now. Um, and so I think coming December, <clears throat> excuse me, you guys are finally going to uh, see what it is. Um, and I have to say, we've talked with, we've done a demo with pretty much everybody between Raf, ZK, Leo, um, Domo, pretty much everybody. And every single one of these people are extremely blown away with, with what the product is. So as long as it doesn't break, um, everyone thinks this is really going to change the game in terms of um, how uh, BRC20s are traded. It's essentially, um, it's essentially Uniswap on Bitcoin with a twist. So um, that should that marketing campaign should begin here, hopefully pretty soon, probably in the next week. Oh, you're not gonna tell us the twist? No, I can't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Yo, Adam, what is good? We actually have Chris on stage today because wait, Adam, I didn't get to kick him off yet. <laughs> absolutely hilarious! Uh, I'm excited for today's space. You know, when we do market talk, I was talking about this earlier. Mm -hmm. When we do market talk, you know, they tend to be a little bit smaller because everyone and their mom does a market talk. Does market talk. <laughs> a highly competitive space. But I like when we get to cover ordinals and kind of everything in our ecosystem. So that's kind of what we're going to do today. If anyone wants to join the conversation, please come on stage. It's a very uh, open conversation. Uh, but how are you feeling today, Adam? Feeling great, man. Getting over a cold, but feeling good finally. So um excited about this man there's so much going on dude it just it's got bull market vibes all over it um you know i just i've tweeted about it for the last couple of days now it just it just has that feeling man you know like everything's popping like what is the next i don't even know what it was it's blast okay but then there's i don't know portal like it's like <laughs> what new chains new everything you know it just it has those vibes right now man and um Hold on to your hats. I'd love to hear different people's points of view from like a buying uh, perspective because it's real easy to burn through all your uh, Bitcoin or ETH right now, you know, buying into stuff. So, you know, being a little bit conservative, um, I see people picking up, you know, some obviously some grails. Uh, we can talk about that, um, but love to hear different perspectives on it because it is very, very easy to fall into FOMO in these sort of environments. Yeah, I actually, if you guys stay to the end of the space, I actually have some alpha I will reveal Ooh. about a project I've been working on for eight months up until this point. So it um, has to do with ordinals. So, Whoa, uh, what the heck? You, you, Chris. this from me, Jake, bro? What's up uh, with this? Yeah, it's, been, it's been out in the public. I just haven't really talked about it publicly until the time was right. You know, you know what happens when you build these projects I've learned is you come out and you you present the idea and then a lot of times you just go into hiding while you're building it and so this is where some of the projects end up just rugging because they're like yo fuck this is actually harder than i thought it was going to be yep but uh 8 months of building man it was uh, it's been quite a a tough um adventure to get that done so we'll save that to the end but chris man uh sorry about yesterday uh, i know uh you were basically in the uh, version of twitter jail that we used to celebrate <laughs> on twitter back in the day uh, how are you feeling today Yo, I am back from exile, feeling good. Um, yeah, I love these spaces, the, the market talk ones. A lot of people do them, but, you know, we have such kind of a unique perspective on the whole ecosystem from some, like, historicals, where you guys are, to new up-and-coming things. 
and just kind of, you know, getting into these trends and kind of just talking about overall goals of what you might want to accomplish in, in you know, a new kind of refreshed market. So, so that's always a good one just to kind of, you know, get with the community and kind of see what people are keeping their eyes on, what people are collecting and what people might think, uh, you know, might be the next up and coming thing going into the new year. So, so pretty excited about it. The, the, um, Pepe space yesterday was, was really, really fun. I feel like that got a lot of traction and there's just like so much energy around that community. That's kind of renewed and, you know, so many new faces are popping up. So obviously I feel like that's going to be a big trend going forward, but yeah, excited to talk about it. Excited to get into it. Yeah. The, um, hold on. I'm also going to pin to the top. The spaces just appreciate everyone who could retweet it if you'd like. Um, so we could get some more people in this conversation. Last but certainly not least, we got Prism on stage, one of the top ordinal artists, man. How is it going? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Um, we are back, aren't we? We got I, some energy going. Um, yeah. we, we might be at, the, at that peak FOMO um, and where we have to kind of sit back and let's just see what happens next. But it's been a, a fun ride over the past couple of weeks, that's for sure. That, that it definitely has. You know, uh, we'll get we'll start with some ordinal talk uh, right at the beginning. I actually was trying to get any of these like four founders onto the show today. Um, I invited Sanj, I invited the Untoshis from Unordinals. I hit up Jerry and um, Raf from Ordibots, and then the Node Monkey guys didn't respond. These are all mints that have been that are going to be happening or have happened over the last week and then into the rest of the year. It seems like a good time. I was tweeting, you know, when when Sats and Ordi took off and literally went like a hundred x or whatever. I was like, you know, it's probably a good time for collections to start dropping these because there's a lot of money just kind of sloshing around in the ecosystem and people are minting meme coins and now they need to spend it. And it seems like it went well. I don't know, Adam. Did you see what happened yesterday with the Ordi bots mint where? No, where MEV is now on Bitcoin, or it's like it's been there, it's been there, but it's like nobody actually, can figure it out, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's front and sender. So yeah. Ordi Bots is was a collection created by Raf and Jerry, who uh, created Doge Punks, and then they had Ordi Bots V1. They they created a new standard. I believe this one was called DRC. Is it 420 or 69? Prism, do you know? I don't remember which one it is, or maybe Dogfather knows. Dogfather, do you know which one it was? Uh, not a hundred percent, but um, I experienced the mint. And if you guys like, I can share my experience. Yeah, please take us through as someone. I picked up some on secondary just because I was like, I was interested in the collection. But um, from what I was hearing, everyone said it was the worst minting experience they've experienced so far. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're a bit spoiled. <laughs> typically, you know, in the in a bear market, then everything is a bit smooth and not that much demand. So. I mean, first of all, Magic Eden had some technical issues. I think the team was not responsible for that. So they had a mint page and you could check whether your wallet is, you know, whitelisted. And it was not working for quite some time. And imagine how the Discord was looking like. So everyone was panicking. <laughs> so they gave out some uh, whitelists, you know, like usual, but it was pretty much oversubscribed. So they handed out four times more whitelist spots than, you know, actual bots so it was whew, a pretty competitive i would say whitelist so it had to be early so everyone went there clicking at the on the first second when they could so like four thousand people clicking with like uh i don't know uh 600 700 spots so the site was crashing for like half an hour so everyone was clicking nobody stopped of course you know full legion 
And um, so, so, so I, I was lucky. So I, I could mint mine, you know, like, I don't know, for 10 bucks or so. But many people got front run. So I think this was the first time uh, people really discovered that, uh, yeah, you, you can sign a PSPT. But if someone is, you know, signing the same one with a higher fee, they take, you know, they receive the, the, the inscription. So I think that, according to my knowledge, it was the first time this happened at such a scale. I think we need to up our game. Right? How many? So, um, so is that, does that mean that, for example, you were whitelisted, uh, and and you actually got it in there, were able to click and it went through? Does that mean that I, even though I wasn't whitelisted, could basically then swipe it from you? Yeah, if you're technically wow. savvy, uh, you you could do that. It's. Wow. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, smart enough to do that. But basically, you you could kind of mimic my. I don't know how they do that and just pay a higher fee. And then the Audibot went into the sniper's wallet. So wow. I think um, Leo was uh, um, tweeting about that. Maybe you'll find that tweet and can pin it. So yeah, so Magic Eden was sorry about that. The team, I think, created some more Audibots and, you know, sent them to the victims. Yeah, so I think we learned a lot uh, in, in these in these times, in these experiments. So I would not say that this was like a horrible mint, but definitely a mint where we can learn uh, a lot. Let's put it like that. Yeah, I was listening to the Ordinal show yesterday, kind of discuss what are the options here. Uh, Cypher, um, Charlie, Leonidas, Tio. Seems like the only solutions here are you either, either the marketplace um, creates this uh, process to where the PSBT has to be signed by the original purchaser. So you have, right, if, you, if you're going through this this uh, allow list, if you're trying to mint Ordibot, first you sign the transaction, <clears throat> excuse me, and then on the back end, the marketplace then signs it to say, yep, this is the partially signed. Now the process could go through. But if they add a third option to where then the original owner has to sign it, then you could cut out all the MEVers. The only downside here is you create a centralized marketplace where, <clears throat> where everything has to take place on um, that marketplace itself, yep. which obviously, right, we've learned that centralized marketplaces, yes, they have your interest in mind, they have their interests, but also you could lose your assets, right, as well. Um, right, we learned through last this last bull market that, um, we keep repeating the same issue over and over. Mount Gox in 2013, right? Then is FTX, right? Centralized uh, exchanges, there's a lot of risks. And so you don't want to go that route. Um, there was another option in terms of like uh, how to build this technically, but it seems like, in my opinion, that MEV is not going to go away. People are going to come up with all these different solutions. And then users are going to just really figure it out, right? It's kind of a war space when it comes to MEV. It's really a battleground. Does anybody feel like we're 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 rerunning 2021 with the <laughs> uh, the uh, you know mint wars? I mean, it's like, bro, it's so it is so interesting how we just the, the space as a whole just reruns um, the same issues, right? These issues are technical challenges. Um, really, really fun to do this stuff. Yeah, go ahead, Dogfather. I think in in this example where we have kind of like a free mint, I think it costs like ten bucks or so. Um, I think it's okay if the if you have some more centralization. If it's like an expensive mint, uh, you would not want that. So it really depends. I think 
in, in in this particular case, I think it would be okay if Magic Eden would temporarily hold and own the assets and just send them to yeah. the, you know, the right and right listed wallet. Yeah, totally, man. Totally. I mean, it, it's just that that's, you just know that that's going to have to happen, right? <laughs> if we're talking about artists, you know, we got Prism on stage here or whatever, but you know, you're an artist, you're selling to a group of collectors or whatever, you've whitelisted people. Obviously, you don't want this to take place um, and create a bad, you know, experience. Uh, go ahead, Prism. Yeah, that was that was a question I had because you know we we built our own mint tech um, and we're obviously fine with it being a little bit more centralized since we're the ones inscribing all of this stuff anyway. And um, we don't necessarily set it up in the same way as these marketplaces do. It essentially, um, you you submit a payment. It grabs an an inscription ID from the list that we have, um, and then grabs that out of the wallet and sends it. So it's, it's done just a little bit differently. Obviously, more centralized. Um, but I'm I'm curious, you know, with Magic Eden, because you do have to send them ordinals in order to have your mint on their uh, launchpad. So I'm curious why they, if anyone knows why they've chosen to do it another route, if they, you know, why they've chosen to do like PSBTs. Uh, I think it's just because it's maybe the market standard. Um, it's been adopted between Ordinal's Wallet, Magic Eden, Unisat. So everyone's kind of using the same and they want to create maybe some sort of synchronicity. I did hear another option. Uh, I forget who, who brought this up yesterday about this idea of dark pools, where basically the marketplace owns this the mempool. It's kind of like a private mempool, which can then obfuscate um, the MEVers. Uh, it, this is, the idea of dark pools has been around in Bitcoin for for a long time. The actual practice and implementation of it, though, um, is much more difficult. This is where they got into the conversation uh, about Jack Dorsey and Luke, uh, Luke Jr.'s uh, ocean mining pool. Did you hear about this, Adam? Did you, Bro, did you, I'm telling uh, you, we are rerunning history. All you got to do is look at your history to know we have rerun. We ran this route. In 2016 and 17, it, it was funny. I don't know if it was Udi or somebody, um, you know, posted a Bitcoin talk uh, forum where it's literally Luke Dash Jr. in there like, this spam will not be tolerated when they're talking about counterparty, right? And it's just like, wow, here we are. We're literally rerunning the exact same thing. And uh, it's very interesting that, that, you know, Jack, obviously deep, deep, deep pockets, um is supporting you know what luke's doing with that mining company or whatever that i don't know if it's a tech company that helps miners or actually if they actually have miners themselves but um yeah basically uh threatening to to um you know take away ordinals not not accept ordinal transactions which is um you know censorship and when you talk i, I I'll, I'll pin the tweet up top i'll go find one of the good tweets about it but it's this idea that they want to create, and obviously Jack has said many, many times he wants to create, you know, censorship-resistant networks. And, uh, you know, the first duty supports is this huge censorship maxi. Um, so it's it's just, uh, it's so interesting when you look at the history and, and see where this goes. Yep. Uh, excuse me. I pulled up the tweet on the live stream from Checksum. It's a, he's a guy who's been a Bitcoin miner since 2010, owns his own mining pool uh he said here that the new preachers of transparency and mining ocean mining have been caught with their pants down hiding several things he said he had been monitoring it and they're excluding transactions costing an average of five to ten percent in fees obviously this is what inscriptions are 
And he goes on to talk about how you have to pay a higher cost if you want to be in their private pool. And I was listening to the explanation of like what they're actually attempting to do here. And I forget who was explaining it. I think it was Cypher was explaining and, and Charlie, because they're really experts in, in mining. It's this idea of like a, a block construction, um, which I guess has been attempted a handful of times of uh, constructing blocks in a more efficient way. Um, and it has to do with private pools and working with private miners. Uh, they, this company, I guess, raised six and a half million dollars to really to do it, or maybe it was Jack's money. Um, is really the one who's funding it. But I think it's going to be tough to, you know, get users or miners to come in and mine a pool where the transactions are, or the fees are significantly less to what you could just go do out in the public. I, I'm not. You, I, you I, would I see know this happening, right? Like somebody was like, "How long could they do that?" And you realize, like, they could do it for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you rec- you recognize and anybody who just if you just take it out to the next level to uh, okay Jack Dorsey has basically billions of dollars you know uh, uh, you know how long can he run a miner that uh censors transactions like for probably decades and if you have if you then take it out to a next level where you look at a state actor um you know you look at it in an infinite time span of being able to do this. And and so you see that there's there's a significant risk to ordinals and potentially a Bitcoin network. Like you just, it just, you start to worry about these things. Um, if, if we truly want Bitcoin as a censorship free network, uh, these things have to be handled and the community has to decide that we're not gonna work that way. Um, so yeah, it's a, this is an attack vector. Attack vector, Chris. You know, we we joined Bitcoin back in 2016. We've actually, I think, had a handful of conversations about you know Bitcoin mining and decentralization. Do you think there is any staying power here as a a, a private mining pool backed by Jack Dorsey? Do you think it'll appeal to institutions? Because obviously, retail is probably not going to be interested. Yeah, you know, it's it's tough to get the full picture from what he's doing. You know, he's kind of shown his cards. I feel like he's an idealist. I feel like. He has a pretty good grasp on the whole ecosystem. So this kind of caught me off guard as to kind of like, what are you thinking? Like he obviously would know that there would be a ton of backlash from the community. I don't think that um, he would go in blindly. So I obviously feel like he has some type of plan, but at the end of the day, you know, there's going to be open miners. So I feel like it's not too big of a concern for the network or anything necessarily like that, that puts the, the chain at risk. But I feel like it was just kind of, I don't see how it can be a blender for him. I feel like he is so kind of in in the weeds with everything that he would have had to see this coming. And obviously people would raise major concerns with what he was doing. So definitely caught me off guard, but I find it kind of hard to believe that it caught him off guard as to he wouldn't know that there would be some sort of backlash. So I feel like maybe we're not understanding the whole story here somehow. That's that's kind of how I'm I'm viewing it as well. I mean, Jack's also uh, spun up his own mining farm in Texas. I think they're doing like a renewable mining farm. So maybe that's that's who's mining these actual pools. Or, you know, he has prior agreements, um, you know, off chain with some sort of institutions. And this is how they want to go about it. Maybe he's taking some sort of regulatory approach. It's it's really tough to know. I think there is a lot of information, though. Um, and, that is you know, like here. the U.S. is the the global leader in Bitcoin mining at this point in time. And it's really people like Jack Dorsey and, and Michael Saylor and these people that are at the forefront of Bitcoin for the last couple of years 
in, in the biggest way possible to have the you know biggest insight into what's going on through that growth. So I have to see, I have to say that, you know, he he definitely knows what he's doing. He would know that there would be some sort of backlash. So um I don't know. I, I think that there's more to the story, but uh, I think that he know he definitely knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. It is it is quite interesting, um, to say the least. But you know, kind of in the same realm of mining that's increasing inscriptions costs, one thing that I've been following quite closely is this new idea of digital matter theory. Uh, Adam, have you been following this at all? Are oh, you familiar? Tell me about this. Digital I, I matter. I'm loving this. What is I, this? I know you're a, a, a bitmap denier, but um, <laughs> <laughs> so the block the block runner guys, you know, I've I've had them on my podcast, I've talked with them. This was the second ever mint out. There was actually a lot of confusion. So I, I actually find this pretty interesting because it can apply to things that are outside of bitmap. So digital matter theory. First, I want to preface to say the largest export of Bitcoin in 2023 has just been theories, right? You got ordinal theory, you got digital matter theory, you got bitmap theory. It's just, it's just a philosophical ideals all the way down the board. What this is, is it's two things. First, it's a new form of a decentralized mint. So the first kind of introduction to the, to the decentralized mint was the first in first out method, right? It was like how Bitcoin punks are created and how kind of how everything works now. If you're the first one to inscribe to this collection, yep. that's yours. Here it is. This is a new one um, by kind of, I guess you'd say proof of work. I'm going to say mining in quotes here. You're mining for digital commodities in essence. So what you're doing here in digital matter theory is you're looking for a uh, arbitrary data rule set in the Bitcoin mining um, in in Bitcoin mining's data set. So for example, you look throughout this span of 800,000 blocks and you find that there's the number 69 um, in every single block. So you can set up and say, hey, you can go, I'm, I'm creating this token called 69 coin. And if you go inscribe, you know, uh, if you go look throughout the history of all the blocks, you can go look for the blocks that has the number that it appears 69 the most times in this numbers. And then that translates to um, the amount of 69 coin that you will mint, right? But essentially it's in a form of BRC20. And this to me is interesting because first it's a free and fair mint, but now you can create essentially, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of different types of BRC twenties, mm -hmm. but it, it definitely makes us not a security, right? If it's a digital commodity, it's proof of work. You're basically mining for these gems or different types of, I think they call them elements um, in the, in the idea. And so the first one that they created was called NAT, which is non-arbitrary tokens. That's what they're calling it. So it's digital matter theory. And then the token types they're calling non-arbitrary tokens. But of course, in, in very uh, ordinal's way, the first token is always going to be literally the name of what the tokens are called, right? Like for, B for BRC20, it's already, you got Light and Doji and whatever. So this one is called NAT. And this inscribed out 800,000 blocks in seven days, which is absolutely insane. I think it took a bitmap like a month or two to, to actually mint out. I don't know exactly the day. And Ordinal's wallet kind of helped uh, push this. They used the same map that they did on Bitmap to then just inscribe NATs. Um, and I've been kind of following to see where else this is going. I think Genie Data uh, has has been following this along pretty closely. 
but it's just it's a new form of a way to create tokens on bitcoin outside of just doing the first in, first in first out method which or first is first method which is mostly for inscriptions but this is for for tokens you could do this like decentralized mint for brc20 but we've seen now that you have users who are literally trying to snipe it and try to prevent brc20s obviously there's such a heavy attack on it this is a completely different way. I don't know if there's going to be a way for you to censor this kind of stuff because people are just using their creativity to to kind of mint these different types of coins. And uh, one one last point, and then I'll, I'll push it over to you, is right now Bitmaps, in my opinion, is kind of going through its second phase where the legitimacy of the idea, I think, is pretty established. I don't think that's going away. Now you're starting to see it on Dogecoin and some of these other ones. So now in the next phase, I think... The community is kind of coming around and deciding, okay, what what do we want now? And it's kind of going through this fungible token renaissance where they're trying to figure out how do we now transact value across the ecosystem? So you have digital matter theory. There's a new token called, I think it's BMP, where you can basically just claim tokens based off of the amount of bitmap that you that you own. And then there's another one called wrapped bit, bitmap to where you could take your bitmap, wrap it, and then they spit out a BRC20 on the other side, almost kind of like a, a fra fractionalized kind of pool or an NFTX kind of pool. So I think we're going to see over the next maybe a few months, one of these tokens are going to emerge to become the leader, at least the they'll take the majority of the kind of uh, transactional value. Um, across the bitmap ecosystem of course bitmap right there's nothing really there yet it's just like a plot and they're still trying to create the rule set but i find digital math theory interesting because you don't have to apply it to just bitmap you can say right i could just say hey i'm going to create jake two token right on through nat and anytime jake pops up in any block now you could go mine it and or you could go inscribe that block and then you own whatever that value is so it's kind of more like an adventure game which I think is like very inherent to what Bitcoin's kind of principles are of this like decentralized environment. But now that I've explained it to you, Adam, what, what do you think? Are you, are you bullish on the idea or is it a bunch of Fugazi? Well, I, I, in, in a way we're almost, we're, you know, since the launch of Bitcoin, we're still struggling with this idea of a fair mint, right? Uh, of how do you distribute an asset in a way that is somehow fair? And I mean, that's, that's literally what the argument with the laser eyes is, is that Satoshi's, you know, the way it happened, even though Satoshi owns, you know, 8% of the total uh, Bitcoin supply, it was done in some immaculate conception sort of way. And Satoshi's not coming back and those coins aren't moving and this is all fair. Um, you know, and we're still struggling with that because the reality is, is you're creating something out of nothing. And if you're creating something out of nothing, if I get 30% of that, and then the community or whatever layers on value on top of this, how is that in any way fair that I got 30% at the beginning, right? Um, and so, you know, I think part of what the apes did, Bitcoin, um, you know, sorry, Bitcoin punks did with this like free, free fair mint uh, is like a new model that's kind of got layered on top of it, um, which was unique and interesting, but of course those guys got a whole swath of them at the beginning. They, right? they inscribed like 20% of the supply. Yeah, because they basically created it, right? <laughs> and so, you know, I don't understand the full tech technicalities of what you just described to me, so I can't really comment on whether or not these, this is a better system. But we're, you know, we haven't arrived at the final system, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's like crypto, we're still very much trying to figure this out. 
And it's almost like three things. We're looking for one, this idea of like a free mint or a fair mint. Um, you know, crypto, we're trying to figure out utility, which you then layer on top of this fair mint. And, and then we're looking at like, well, how does that thing that I created have some sort of value? What's the value prop to it? Which I think we've seen with, um, with Blast this past week, which, you know, Pac-Man was smart. He's like, well, here's the inherent value, which is we're going to, you know, we're going to basically stake it on Ethereum and earn uh, the value. And everybody understands that value prop. So, you know, it almost feels like we're close to some somehow um, kind of merging these three things together. Uh, and I don't know what it's going to be, but I almost feel like in this cycle, somebody's going to figure that out in a way that's going to create a tremendous amount of value. Um, and I don't know what it's going to be, you know, but, uh, you know, if this Nat's it, I, you know, I don't know, because it, it seems to be missing that that one key thing, which like, you know, Pac-Man was able to just like latch on to. Um, you know what I'm saying? So they're almost like these three aspects that need to like work in harmony and who knows, man, maybe there's this new crypto, you know, token that comes in, which kind of merges all of these three things together in some, you know, magical way, which becomes, you know, Bitcoin 2.0. So you're saying portal coin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is this social aspect. I mean, I don't know if anybody knows here, cause I haven't seen it, um, you know, properly uh, laid out were in a way that makes sense. How are they tracking, you know, engagement on Twitter to then push back into like how much reward you get? Does anybody know how that's actually happening on a technical level? I, I actually have no idea. Raise your hand if you do know. I, I have not engaged in the portal coin stuff. I've, I've, done, I've participated in some of the farmings, but I felt like after I saw everything on Twitter, I'm like, I'm already too late to this. So yeah. I'm just going to sit it out. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I know a lot of it has to do with, okay, how much engagement you get on your tweets, retweets and stuff, but how are they measuring that? Are they like scraping Twitter and then pushing that back into their algorithm on who gets how many, you know, tokens or reward points or whatever? They, probably, they probably purchased the API package, Could which be. is quite expensive. It's like 50 Yeah, it's like 40 grand or some crazy amount, right? Per month or I don't even know. Um but but something like that is really interesting. Like if you can bring that social metric back into your protocol on a protocol level, uh, makes a lot of sense. Like we've talked about that with social networks and trying to create a decentralized social network. If you can actually pull data like that back into the social network, um, you know, it's all very, very interesting. Uh, but most of it's still Ponzi's right now at this point. <laughs> It does feel like this year in 2023 that we are getting closer to this kind of crypto social network that everyone's wanted. Yeah. I think the issue with, you know, Farcaster and Lens and some of these other ones and, and uh, Noster is that you're completely starting over with a new audience and nobody wants to do that. Everyone, the, every, it seems like now these networks and, and protocols are trying to find ways to leverage your existing Twitter audience. Crypt, crypto Twitter has been around since the inception, right? You see how Finney talking about running Bitcoin in 2009. So I don't think at this point that not, there's a way to detach it, Twitter from to this new social network. So you got to find a way to import the audience to the new network, right? Frentech did a good job at doing this. Uh, some of these other new protocols are trying to find different ways to go about it. 
it doesn't feel like we're we're completely there, but it does seem like there's been a new focus on this idea of of taking your existing audience on Twitter and trying to tokenize it in some way to then you know turn it into a, a giant megaphone on the chain. Yeah, in some way. Yeah. But by the way, did you see the speaking of friend tech? The friend tech founder uh, left Twitter. <laughs> did you see that? Yeah, deleted his account. <laughs> I uh, tw speaking of friend tech, I I had like I, my buddy Mooncat two eight seven eight. I'd bought his his uh, share or his key at like point one and it went up to like two ETH or something. And he was like number one or like top ten yeah. for a while. And then I went back to friend tech like two days ago, and literally the entire system imploded. Like literally, like seventy percent of the TVL left in the matter of like two days. And when I was, I was reading about what what the issue was, uh, a bunch of the users feel like the friend tech team is not listening to them. They yep. turned on this new like kind of point voting post system where you you get these po you get points based off of the amount of uh, value you hold in your keys. People make posts like on Twitter, and then you can vote on these posts. And so then they moved the airdrop post system to this, and everyone was annoyed. And I guess everyone kind of said fuck it. So if you are long on Socialify, it's probably the right time to go in it. But you know him leaving is probably not a good sign. Not a good sign. Twitter. They also the team made twenty million in fees, and it's only three people on the team. So you could see. You know, you could kind of see there's a possibility of them leaving, although they are backed by Paradigm, so I don't think there's going to be a rug of any essence. But I don't know, man. The the airdrop for the points on Frontech, I believe, is two or three months away still. Um, I'm still holding a few few shares. I, I pop in there every once in a while, but it's pretty heavy ghost town, which, I, I mean, every crypto protocol really goes through this, where you have this massive kind of leg up and then massive leg down. In terms I mean, of, I, I heard blast. <laughs> Somebody, it was on. I think PO's show. The the points apparently are like twenty four months away, like two years. <laughs> I was like, what? How are they going to do that? Who's two years, <laughs> bro? If it's two months, it's too long. I mean, I don't know, man. It seems like, uh, well, I don't know who's on friend tech anymore, right? I mean, I just, you know, it's like these. That's what I'm almost saying, like here with it just the vibes I'm getting right now is these it's come and going like in days and you know, almost like blast is almost off of the timeline now. Like almost people have moved on from that already, which is like, wow, that's incredible. You know, $600 million uh, put into a protocol and people have already moved on, man, you know, attention is getting shorter. That's yeah. We may be in the bull market right now, man. Holy mackerel. Yeah. You got a lot, a lot popping off. Um, but going back to ordinals, there's a, another thing Casey came out yesterday, the Jubilee that they had been talking, that he'd been talking about for I'd say months now at this point, um, all there, there will be no more curse inscriptions beginning at block height, 8,200 or what is it? Yeah. 800,000. Can you use a comma for God's sake? <laughs> I get confused. I get confused. It's like, is that an eight million? Yeah, uh, so eight hundred twenty-four thousand. Yep. Dude, these guys keep uploading new, new org clients, and man, it's such a pain in the ass to keep re-indexing all this stuff. It's, it's so yeah. annoying on the back end. But basically, what's happening here is, is after that block height, there will no be there will be no more curse inscriptions. Everything will get a positive integer, and the curse inscriptions that are cursed now will remain cursed forever yeah i think it's interesting from a collectability standpoint for sure right 
Um, Build on that. Why? Why? Yeah, I think it's just it's this, you know, and I mean, it all depends on ordinals becoming a thing, right? Uh, A long term thing. But if you're looking 10 years out and people are still doing ordinals or maybe it's too expensive. And so like these are just like this sliver of time when ordinals popped off, but people are still using Bitcoin uh, blockchain to store data, you know, through the ordinals kind of um, protocol. It just becomes this really interesting moment in time where we had these negative inscription numbers. And I don't know, somebody in the in the space off could tell us what what number we're up to of of negative inscription numbers. But just it's it's just interesting from a collectability standpoint that oh look at these these were so weird you know these didn't fit into the protocol at the time so they you know numbered them negatively I think from a collectability standpoint it's pretty pretty interesting I mean there are going to be hundreds of thousands of them probably maybe millions I don't even know um, so it's not like all of them are going to have value but uh, just from a collectability standpoint it's it's interesting that they're there um, from my point of view I can't wait for a cursed cursed bitcoin punks to start pumping afterwards again i mean they, they did them right like I, people were <laughs> aping that day <laughs> it's like i don't know exactly. i might have even got a couple i can't remember it was the same bitcoin punks people or the same one who did cursed bitcoin punks they kind of just been holding those back for for a little while yeah. prism i'm glad you raised your hand because i was actually going to ask you from a from an artist standpoint is cursed inscription something that is intriguing or have you uh participated in creating any, or inscribing any art on cursed ordinals yeah i think cursed are super interesting um and if i'm not wrong we are under 300k cursed inscriptions okay. if, if we go back to this this whole conversation about um about inscription numbers and how that played out and how it was it was kept uh i think that was an important moment in saying, you know, long-term uh, inscription numbers matter in a, in a way of just like referencing inscriptions. Um, and so I do think curse will be a, a whole meta that, that is, is slept on for now, but will really pop off when this gets closed off. Um, during the depths of, of the bear, uh, there, were, there were a couple of big meds on, on ordinals, kind of drained some liquidity. Um, people were less willing to to mint things from there but we did we just kept going like we we've we've had a release uh, every week for the last um 22 weeks and um you know when when the supply wasn't all the way minted out we cursed the rest of the supply and those are uh being diamond handed at this point <laughs> um so i think those are probably the most valuable things that we've put out um yeah i think this is this is really cool um <clears throat> we're, we're about to burn something over and uh and we've been wanting to do it we positive but like now we're now we're thinking like man do do these uh you know use this early parent inscription use these 450 sats do them on cursed inscriptions it's like the trifecta um i do think this is going to be a an important thing and these are going to be grails even though there's probably going to be less than 500k of them yeah that is exciting do you do you view cursed ordinals in the similar capacity to rare sats although i know they can be on rare sats it's kind of this like kind of abstract idea uh do you see cursed ordinals as like a kind of a canvas like some other artists see rare sats i think you can definitely lean into it right uh, we've seen that a lot um not necessarily with like the cursed punks those are typically the same thing but uh from, from an art standpoint yeah um you know, you see like just just some basic stuff, you know, inverting colors and flipping things around. And uh, but I, I still think it's cool to kind of lean into those narratives. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think this is like one thing that you can do that is not going to be, you're not going to be able to do it forever. And so it, it stamps this moment in time where like, it was really like fuck around and find out, you know, like we're just going to break everything. We're going to test everything. Um, and in the future, you're not going to be able to do it. And so I, I do think it's going to be this like really intriguing thing over time. Yeah, I, I feel, I feel that as well. Um, should be interesting to kind of see what happens there, but we are making one step closer every day towards the, uh, Ord 1.0 client where Casey has said, once that happens, he's, going to take a seat back from development and um i know he's also working on runes which is which is kind of interesting because we are going through a absolute fungible standard explosion on bitcoin it is it is almost impossible to keep up there's a new one called rings i think from saturn so we have now we have tap we have brc20 we got pipe we got runes that's coming there's atomicals you have counterparty right <laughs> it's just how do you think all of these can coexist together or, you know, or take the other side of the perspective where these meta protocol communities on Bitcoin grow so large that they all need their own fungible standard and that the, the standards don't communicate with each other and just are more insulated. What's your thoughts? Ooh, I think, uh, didn't we have some, uh, BCH guys who were like, nah, it becomes like a, a weird kind of shit show of, of BSV guys. BSV I'm sorry, guys. BSV. Um, and yeah, and it just becomes a weird, non non operable kind of system. Um, I think one's got to win. You know, there can only be one. You know, when it comes to to this, and so my gut says BRC twenty wins. You know, that would be where I would lay my bets if I was betting, and I'm not betting. So you know, and I'm often wrong on this stuff. So, uh, but it feels like first, you know, with largest community is going to win. That's what it. That's where it would feel like but you know don't discount runes because you know you got the biggest mouthpiece you know it's gonna go forward with that one and certainly a lot of people are gonna ape there's gonna be a whole you know craziness around that when that actually launches so it's possible that one wins and it's gonna be more efficient and you know probably gonna work better uh and out of the gate and stuff like that so maybe that one wins but who knows man you know it's just <laughs> again it's this fungible tokens okay we still have fungible tokens they still pop off all the time but at the end of the day they're still just i mean they're they're mostly worthless they mostly go to zero uh you know i'm always looking for what what are we going to do better what's going to or what's going to be the interesting thing why would this be interesting so um yeah i don't know a heavy lack of utility one heavy one, i want to say if i had to rank it right now it's kind of and classify this you have brc20 which has really become more of i guess i say this like very uh lightheartedly the institutional kind of <laughs> standard because it's on binance right you got now you have like leverage trading on it people are going long and short and they could trade it basically on a chart once you hit binance and it's a chart right no one the, the traders really don't give a fuck what what the underlying asset is they just they just want to go either long or short on it and make some money um, but since it's on Binance, you could see options will come to it, right? All these kind of financial kind of instruments. And it's going to be really hard to displace that once you're tied into the largest, you know, marketplace. I know CZ stepped down, but it seems like they're still kind of continuing yep. with operations already had a fair mint. So obviously it's not a security it's free. It was free and fair. So, um, it kind of checks all of those boxes there. 
So in second place, you have Tap. And I, I find it, or that the track ecosystem, I should say, because they have Tap and they have Pipe. Pipe is meant to, com to compete with Runes, and then Track is meant, or Tap is meant to, to compete with BRC20. And they they have they both have incremental improve, improvements, but the ish, the thing here though is the track community has grown quite large, right? Benny's done a great job at curating a um, a very committed, almost cult like community to where they're supporting everything that he does. He's also you know indexing for Bitmap, so he's got a large majority of the community on his side, and there's a lot of crossover there. Um, I, I went on the Tap Spaces on Tuesday and talked with uh, Santiago and some of those people who are running the, the TAPEX exchange. And there's a lot of people who showed up to it and uh, they're still pretty far behind. They still don't have a transfer function. So they're kind of in the early stages of even just where Ordinals was back in maybe like March time. Yep. So we'll see where that evolves. And then you have obviously runes and Casey's stuff. What happens there, I have no idea, uh, because all of the runes tokens are all going to be numerical assets. There's no... There's no unique kind of characters to it, right? He said he was going to do it all in numbers. Um, so it's going to be a different, people are going to view it a very different way. I don't think we've ever seen a fungible standard that's represented by just numbers. Yeah. At least from my understanding, all kind of fungible tokens have a ticker symbol. So here it'll be something different. Obviously, Casey, and we talked about this before, you can already see it across Coindesk and across the block and all these major headlines where it says, creator of Bitcoin ordinals launches second protocol on Bitcoin. Right, like that's obviously going to attract a lot of capital and a lot of interest. Yep. But will people stay and build on it, or does it just become this kind of, I guess, shitcoin casino? Which he wants is. is I mean, and it, and it could. I mean, look, he, you know, it, you know the way it is. If if you roll it out, uh, not in a way that people vibe with, uh, it could die very quickly. Right. Um. I don't. I don't think it will because I think he's got enough people around him where he'll figure out a strategy which will make sense. But, you know, when I saw it's going to be a string of, you know, whatever, 28 let numbers or whatever, bro, that's a loser, 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 you know. So how quickly is it going to get down to something that's manageable or are you going to be able to, like, lay names on top of the numbers or, you know, all these things he's got to figure out in a way that makes some sense. You know, when he was talking about, well, if you get to the one digits, it's going to be, you know, a million dollars to do one, you know, I you know. All those kind of factors, you know, if those aren't done right, you know, it could, it could, it could shit the bed really, really quickly. Um, you know, but Casey is, is smart and there are a lot of smart people around him. So, you know, I would bet that he rolls it out and it's pretty effective um, and gets a lot of excitement around it. So, but we got to see, right? The D-Gen Casino. I mean, Casey's, yeah, he's a very smart guy. You know, I've actually been quite critical of his decision to go with runes. I'm still, I still think this has uh, taken away a lot of credibility from him. I think yeah. the community kind of just views him as just another participant rather than this like all-seeing profit, which he was kind of on this pedestal for a long time. You know, the, now that some of the improvements are censoring uh, all JSON inscriptions from the, the Explorer, to me, shows that they're taking curatorial decision making and not as decentralized which is okay you know to me it's just it's it's they're they're viewing it more you know as a business if you're if you're curating the explorer the main explorer and not allowing anything there's obviously a decision behind why that is but ultimately again right it always comes down to the, the heart of every bitcoin disagreement 
is always this idea of spam. It's literally the core. It's the so argument. funny, right? It literally every, is. Every, every single Bitcoin argument and disagreement comes down to it looks like shit or it's spamming the blockchain. It's literally every single one at the core. And that's the same thing that he says here is that all these JSONs make the Explorer look ugly. But if you are creating a, if you want this to be decentralized and viewed permission, and if you want this to be viewed decentralized, it shouldn't matter how it looks. That's that's the messiness of decentralization is that you're going to see things that you don't want. Yeah. So if you're taking an active, you know, curation aspect to it, there's more to it than just that. Um, he also had mentioned that, I guess he's tying in runes to, runes to ordinal theory somehow. I don't know how that's going, how he's actually doing that or what it actually means. But um, if anyone has any information on that um, from a technical standpoint, that would be cool. But, you know, I'll be participating. I'll definitely going to ape into it. It's obviously yeah, going to go you up. Don't bet against it, man. You know what it's I mean? It's going to go up. Yeah, yeah. it's just I, I'm looking at it from a different lens because of everything that's kind of um, yeah. unfolded over time. So um should be interesting uh, to, to say the least. I mean, we, we've learned, if I've learned anything, I, I've learned that you don't bet against uh, powerful either institutions or people. Um, and Casey's a powerful person with a lot of influence. Uh, at least in the short term, those things tend to go up. They may crash eventually long term, but uh, you know, if you look at BAYC or uh, Frank from D Gods or you know Casey, you know things like this tend to at least in the short term pump. Um, so don't fade that pump in the beginning, but long term they may not you know hold so much value. Yeah, this morning I believe this morning. Um, our favorite uh, other inscription ecosystem uh, had a very large milestone that they reached. Uh, they they have launched officially their facet protocol, which is that which was created by the creators of inscriptions by Michael and Tom, who is middle March. Um, they launched facet. And so you ask like, what's facet? And first I want to note that Tom, it, Tom and Tom and Michael are, fully on board with this idea of facet. And because if you look at Tom's uh, profile page, it's literally facet is labeled in like four different spots. So um, if you're in the inscription ecosystem, this should be something that you are definitely pay attention to. And so it says facet. Facet is a decentralized low cost computing platform. So if you understand, here's a little bit of a technical perspective. If you understand how eScriptions work, you're basically storing the information into the call data, which is the equivalent of doing the same thing on Bitcoin. But you basically have to create these kind of centralized smart contracts around it so that you could take this data and perform kind of smart contract-like functionality. So they've built a swap tool, they've built a scanner, and they also have something called uh, facet cards. And facet cards... Um, Facet cards are kind of like, they're almost like ENS. It's like names um, that you have. And so that went live today. But if you're watching the live stream, you could see here Facet Swap. I mean, it looks good, right? Because it's you're taking your ETH S20 um, tokens, which are like the BRC20s. They have a swap tool, which, you know, uh, Bitcoin Ordinals is going through the same phase right now with a swap tool for uh, that's on Unisat, um, which has had, I guess, minimal traction. They have a bridge. And then um, they have a scanner and then they have facet cards. And I'll pull this up here. And I, I have to say, I woke up at like four in the morning a few weeks ago. <laughs> to literally, in, 
to literally describe as many names as could as I could. I got Jake and I got a bunch of them. I spent like oh half an eighth in inscribing names. Um, so we'll see where it goes. But uh, if you inscribed any of these facet cards, you can also get something called a sunrise sticker. I guess uh, it says, "What's a sunrise sticker?" It's a facet card sticker you could claim if you pre-registered. You could claim it as soon as your cards are airdropped. They, I believe, they should be airdropped today at some point. Yep. And you get the sticker. I think it's more of just like a POAP kind of thing on it. Um, and they also finally published their full documentation. Uh, I highly recommend it. I woke up and went through it a, a little bit um, before this, this call. But it looks like they created their own smart contract language called Rubidity. Um, yeah, I thought that was a funny name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Rubidity, right? I mean, Tom is a, a he literally created the website genius.com. So <laughs> I think uh, these guys know what they're doing for sure. <laughs> What's your what's your thoughts on uh, Facet and the emerging ETH ecosystem? I think they've definitely taken second place in terms of all inscription ecosystems. Yeah, it's uh, these guys are smart. Um, I think the idea of inexpensive on-chain NFTs on Ethereum are are ex it's exciting. Like I I think ETH scriptions are a really really brilliant idea. Um, you know, it just makes sense. Now whether that will build to something that's interesting other than just JPEGs, you know, on-chain JPEGs. I don't know. You know, I, I think the idea of an L1 inexpensive smart contract-based system uh, is really, really exciting, right? Uh, I'm surprised more people haven't latched onto this idea. Um, so we'll see where it goes. I, just, just that, though, foundationally, an inexpensive, you know, smart contract system on Ethereum uh why would you ever use an l2 right um you know we'll see where it goes i i it's literally launched today i checked out their their discord it's a complete uh you know as you would expect <laughs> complete shit show because you know eight like like with uh you know 800 people trying to all claim their cards all trying to like mint the new first whatevers uh it's i'm sure it's just a complete disaster over there as to be expected um, but what comes out of it, uh, you know, who knows? I'm excited to see it. Obviously, they were able to raise some money because of those cards, you know, to get the short names, you had to pay. And mm -hmm. it's a, it's just like ENS. It renews every year. You have to pay to renew it. So they were able to get some funding for themselves, uh, which is good because now they can actually work on this thing and build it out. I just think it's another one of these things that, give creative people an interesting thing to try. And certainly if you can do something on L1, why would you ever use an L2, right? Just makes sense. And uh, we'll see where it goes. I thought it was, it was really kind of captivating the conversation we had with Michael and Tom, that massive spaces uh, a few weeks ago. The big light bulb moment for me was the comparison that Michael said that Eascription is basically uh, a competitor to all the L2s. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh wow, right?" Because, yeah, dude, that's a big deal. Which is because the, the L2 space right now, we we had we talked about this on Tuesday. It's quite crowded, and uh, you and you have all these different gamifications, and you even had Vitalik, the creator of Ethereum, come out and say that the L2 ecosystem is moved into a way that he didn't predict. He thought that it would all be kind of homogeneous and everything would be the same in terms of the structure, and it's turned out to be the complete opposite. Which I want to just note that. 
the majority of time when you create a crypto protocol or a blockchain, people are going to use it in a way that you didn't plan for. <laughs> a million percent. In case you found this out, <laughs> pretty pretty hard and true. Yep. Um, so the fact that they could create this, and I, I actually made an inscription transfer yesterday. It cost a dollar fifty when gas was like fifty guay. Yeah. I saw a tweet this morning that somebody said the reason why gas is so high this morning was there was an inscription mint of like. 25,000 mints and it was causing gas to go high. But if you're minting an inscription, your your gas cost is not the equivalent of 50 guay on mainnet, right? You're you're paying maybe 20, 10 or 20% of what that is. So these people are just playing in a completely different ecosystem yeah. on L1, which is just going to inflate, which could go one of two ways, right? It's either people like the gas goes so high that everyone just goes to inscription. Or gas is just continually so high on ETH main night that everyone just goes to L2 and pushes everyone away. <laughs> Dude, maybe ETH scriptions make L1 the new L2, you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, I mean, this is, it's, if you think about, you know, Pac-Man getting $600 million to move over to his L2, which doesn't even exist yet. And you think, wait a minute, can we do the same functionality on Ethereum, on L1, you know, in a way that's, you know, a tenth of the cost or even more. I mean, we know for certain transactions, it can be like a 50th of the cost. Uh, holy macaroni. They might be building the most important thing in blockchain right now, like literally. Um, so it's really, I'm excited for those guys. Yeah, me too. Yeah, they're both they're both really good guys. Tom's a Tom's a really good guy. He's come through um, a fucking shit show. <laughs> <laughs> Total. The board Ape stuff and everything like that. If you don't know, Tom created uh, the Ape Market, which was part of the, the lawsuit so um he's been through the ringer a few times but very very smart guy um so their inscription to me is probably the second dominant uh inscription ecosystem and third to me would be doginals has really um started to catch some heat and some attention as well doji uh i think it's corrected a little bit is now sitting around 10 million dollar market cap uh fiwb is the second sitting around like one and a half million and the, if you if you go to like drc20.org um, or doggy market or even ordinal's wallet the nfts or the ins, i guess you call it the doginal inscriptions um have started to really uh, come to market we've seen a bunch of these like sub 100k collections start minting on the launch pad and people are starting to create collections it's kind of interesting there is a big issue right now within the Doginal ecosystem where all three indexers between Ordinal's Market or Ordinal's Wallet, excuse me, Ordinal's Wallet, Doggy Market, and uh, the Doge Labs one, they're all indexing differently. So they're, <laughs> they're, all, going, they're all going through um, growing pains. And yeah. well, the, the, I was talking with Harry from Ordinal's Wallet, like what the issue is here. And he said with Doginals, because of with Dogecoin, the blockchain, there are. Uh, very regular uh, block reorgs because of how fast the blocks are. So what Doge Labs does is they actually index 10 blocks behind where it is. So, so Doge Labs is behind, the other two are forward, and the other two marketplaces are getting all these block reorgs, which is just causing an uh, issue with the price uh, or the price discrepancies. So they're going to have to, all three of them are probably going to have to come together and figure out a solution for everyone to agree on. If not, you know, it, it's probably going to be very detrimental to the to the whole entire ecosystem. So, um, right, social consensus. We'll we'll see what happens. Um, that if you can't agree on a price, at least for D, that it's worse for DRC20. I think inscriptions in the 
kind of PFP stuff uh, won't be as tough of an issue as the DRC20 stuff because those are definitely traded uh, in a more of a financial value. But inscription ecosystems are emerging over the last three, four weeks. We've seen, I think I saw a base inscription system, uh, <laughs> Polygon inscriptions ecosystem, Solana inscription ecosystem, Avalanche, right? BNB is there. Uh, it's only going to continue to grow. I'm a, a firm believer at this point in time that um, this is here to stay. And I think it's just a new paradigm. I think it's, again, I've been very heavy about this since BRC20 is created in April or March, that this is a fourth type. BRC20 and DRC20 and all these, this is a fourth type of asset. It's not a fungible token, right? It's not an NFT. It's not an ERC1155. So I call them kind of composable semi-fungibles. New market unlock. It's about a bit over a billion dollars of market cap across all of these different blockchains. I think that's only going to continue to balloon over time. So make sure if you're in that ecosystem to just own the first. It's very obvious which one's the first. It's like Stamp, Light, Doji, Ordi, Souls, right? Ethos, all these different type of things. So um, should be fun. And you know, last but certainly not least, I do want to hear about the Solana ecosystem. You know, I haven't gone through my Soul era yet. But Chris has, and he's been pitching me on it for two years now at this point. Uh, bro, give us some some updates. What is the most, to you, what is the most intriguing um, or maybe top three interesting things that are happening on Solana right now that people should be paying attention to? Yo. Uh, yeah, real quick, just, uh, I mean, you guys have a good kind of perspective on on ordinals and everything like that. Um, what are, what would you say, if you were starting out, what would the the, like, couple biggest things that you would look for over there and then we can get over into solana let's Ooh. finish off like that that's a good idea or that's actually a good call a bitcoin ordinals is probably the best to start with in my opinion uh, my my top three ecosystems is brc20 bitmap and probably just go on to magic eden and look at all the different collections that's probably the most friendly way is to go on magic eden slash ordinals and they have some tutorial videos they have everything laid out very nice and very clear uh, you know, it is kind of unfortunate that, you know, the mark, the dominant market player across other ecosystems is definitely commoditizing ordinals, but, you know, they're facet to the punch and they're also doing this kind of, they've moved into this kind of cross chain mentality with their wallet, which is pretty exciting. Just only kind of, you know, it just authenticates even more what Emblem Vault's been trying to do for three years now at this point, or has been doing for over three years now uh, at this point. So Magic Eden is definitely the best place to start. Solid. Um, as for Solana, you know, it's kind of the same thing that that Adam was mentioning earlier, where you just see the narratives play out the same over and over again. You go from NFTs kind of nestled these communities, people start using the native coin, then they try to poke around with DeFi and things like that, and then move to a new chain and pretty much repeat. So it just seems like, I feel like at this point in time, if I were a newcomer, I mean, definitely, I feel like Bitcoin has the biggest market you know so many of those people are so new to the ecosystem new in the sense of probably post sailor is kind of when things got um kind of popularized and i think sailor was buying i think he bought bitcoin at like maybe 14k and it ran to 20k pretty much like right after that so even in those days you know most bitcoiners earlier newer ones are sitting at maybe you know maybe a 2x but maybe they bought 25 30k there's not a ton of profits floating around in that ecosystem yet. So when that 
when you know Bitcoin starts to run a bit and people have a little bit more liquidity, I really see that ecosystem really kind of taking off and people using their coins in a big way. And plus you have unit bias working towards you you as well, where you know 0.0001 Bitcoin <laughs> is still a significant amount of money at you know 60 or 70k, 100k. So always fascinated, love to see advancements in, in the Bitcoin ecosystem. As for, for something like Solana, it just is kind of really um, a joke for a long time was you can tell, you know, that nobody actually DYORs, like nobody <laughs> does their own research, right? Like um, it, it, they always push these random memes. They're really good at memeing over on that chain. Uh, one of them is just like use Solana, like just use the app, like get some coins, use a couple of the applications on it, um, you know, check out true instant settlement and in how quickly and responsive you know a lot of the different apps can be use something like jupiter that has an airdrop coming up soon um which is like akin to something like their their uniswap things like that and and just kind of use it and experiment on it and then you can kind of see all the cool things that you can do but nfts are kind of having i mean it's it's just so early you look for these at least i when i'm when i'm uh, experimenting and looking for new things to try out I'm always looking for for asymmetric trades. You know, your downside is limited to zero, like most things in crypto. And how big can it get? You know, if you're looking at the Solana ecosystem today, the market cap is like roughly of all Solana NFTs is roughly the size of Board Ape. Hmm. That's pretty bonkers, right? Just one NFT at the bottom of a bear market of Ethereum. So so much liquidity can kind of can kind of pile in there. You have like. Uh, just kind of your standards like SMBs, kind of like the first main, uh, like you know, mainstream NFT on Solana brought some some Ethereum liquidity over. Um, that's where like most of the OGs have a lot of project owners, things like that. It would it's kind of like owning a punk in a in a smaller fashion. Just you know, really kind of OG users of the chain that have been around for a long time, small net community. Um, one thing that's cool about Solana too is that a lot of these collections have small supply. Like SMBs have five thousand. That's pretty nuts. As you know, your your demand um, levels kind of increase. You know, five thousand supply in a in a huge chain is pretty tiny. So these things are extremely reflexive. Mad Lads, they're building that exchange built into their wallet, which is pretty cool. Clanos, Clanosaurs have you know. Uh, kind of a, a huge IP play. It would probably be closer to like Pudgy Penguins, something like that. But there's a ton to do. I would just say, you know, poke around on the chain, use Magic Eden, use Tensor. Um, a lot of these protocols are at the stage that Ethereum was at two years ago, where or three years ago, I guess, almost four now, where they haven't launched their tokens. And so they're going to be airdropping early, you know, retrospective, airdrops for previous users. So that's another incentive to just kind of get on the chain and and give it a try. Yeah, give me, give me, give me, sorry, Jake, the, um, and I do notice like just people buying soul, I think a lot of, um, because souls had this big run up, you know, from its low of whatever, eight or nine bucks. So you get all this liquidity and people then start, you know, playing with that liquidity and buying, I don't know, I'm watching Nick and Pio and their doggos or whatever they have. And it's running, you know, and I'm, I'm watching that it's running up in price. And I'm like, oh, this is what happens when the price of the base token goes up. You know, people use that excess liquidity to, you know, buy NFTs, basically. 
Um, but you said the the Jupiter airdrop. Is there a way that people who are listening right now uh, could begin using that? What's the most effective way to to position yourself for that that sort of airdrop? Yeah, most of these airdrops are, are similar to just you know the OG Ethereum or Uniswap airdrop or things like that. Just retrospective, just for using the protocol. Mm-hmm. There's kind of uh, you know Solana went through a pretty tough phase with uh, SBF era and where all of the um, ecosystem coins were low float, high fund uh, FDV. And so they were like really predatory. So now the new age of apps are kind of being really generous, kind of basically kind of like healing, nature is healing type of vibes where, you know, really kind of thankful that users stuck around and it was kind of embarrassing for the foundation and a lot of these things where, you know, so many users were kind of taken advantage of early on. So uh, a lot of these airdrops are, are going to be probably pretty significant. As far as Jupiter, it's probably a bit too late. I think that their their airdrop uh, is basically finalized for their snapshot. But Tensor Tens, Tensor.trade, just I would mess around on there. Uh, MarginFi is another. That's like their Ave. Um, there's a few. There's another list, probably five or ten protocols that'll be airdropping probably within you know the next six months. That all you have to do is just kind of get involved. And the cool thing about something like Solana is you can get involved with like $5 because transactions are a fraction of a penny. So you can move $5 back and forth, just interact with the protocol and instantly you're going to qualify for, for upcoming airdrops. So nobody is kind of, uh, nobody's left out due to capital constraints. Everybody can kind of play and that's kind of like what makes the chain so fun. I, I got one question, then I'll call on uh, Satoshi Club right after. Why, why do you think the NFT ecosystem on Solana has blown up and largely the fungible token ecosystem is has lagged behind or really hasn't found any type of adoption? Yeah, it was it, it was kind of uh, um, there was a lot of competition when Solana was up and coming last year. NFTs were the biggest thing on Ethereum. And so I feel like that was kind of a mirror of what people are looking for. We talk about it a lot on chain culture. You know, Jake, Jake understands that really well. Adam understands that really well of the NFTs of your ecosystem are kind of a representation of the kind of people that are using the chain. And so at ETH, you have a lot of collectors, a lot of high end NFTs like that. Solana, you just have a lot of builders, a lot of, you know, different kind of use cases that you wouldn't be able to do on other chains. One of the reasons for that is because it's built in Rust. And so you have a lot of Web2 developers that know Rust that don't have, they're, they're not proficient in Solidity smart contracts, but they know how to build in Rust. And so they can build in Rust on Solana. And so their, their dev skills kind of translate. And so they're able to spin up cool kind of Web2, Web3 ideas in a fashion that they wouldn't be able to because they can't code in the Ethereum smart contract language. So you have like a lot of use cases that can kind of um, attract those Web2 audiences that weren't possible before. A cool one is kind of like Steppen, that walking app that went super mainstream that nobody even knew that they were using a blockchain. Well, obviously that was built on Solana. And so the way that I think about it at least is kind of the, the path of least resistance forward is we already had one mainstream app in the earliest days of the chain, you know, with, Steppen was pretty big. It was doing like mega millions of dollars, probably maybe a few billion uh, at the top. It was like a phenomenon. It was really crazy. 
And most of these people didn't even realize that they were using a blockchain. And so we had one mainstream app from the chain. The path of least resistance is probably, you know, another mainstream app because that's just, you know, the parameters make it possible for, for low friction transactions, low friction user interface. And so, yeah, I would, I would just keep an eye out. You know, a lot of these things are, are really interesting and you kind of have the, you can backdate it and look at what was pretty popular on Ethereum. And then you can kind of maybe mirror it and see what may, might gain a lot of traction over here. Yeah. One, one interesting thing <clears throat> I was listening to this morning is that Empire podcast with Jason Santiago. And they're talking about how a lot of the new AI software is actually written in Rust. And so they were theorizing that Solana is going to, Solana and Bitcoin, because Bitcoin's also written in Rust, will be the two most compatible um, blockchains for, for AI. Um, software in the future. It was kind of interesting. I didn't, that. Yeah, I didn't realize that. What, what, what episode? What was that? It's the uh, what podcast? The Empire podcast. It's Santiago and Chris. Who? What's the other guy's name? I forget his name. Uh, is it Yano? Yano. It does yeah. Empire. Yeah. And yeah. Yano. Yeah. It's a, they, they they have a really really good. They're block. It's Blockworks. If you're familiar with Blockworks. They're pretty much. And you can kind of even just listening to something like Empire, you can really see the the shift in mindshare that Solana has had over the the past year or so. And how frequently, like I, I haven't talked to Yano, but it almost seems like he's becoming more of a, mm -hmm. a Solana Maxi at this point. He kind of poses these questions to diehard uh, ETH, uh, ETH Maxis and things like that of that nature. Of just why would you build on all these layer twos if you can just build on a singular layer one? And that kind of goes back to the the statement earlier of it's like you can tell who's done their own research. Even you know there was a they just released a podcast with Olaf who is the first Coinbase uh, employee. And he's kind of posing these questions of like, how, if you're investing in new protocols and new builders, how are you guiding them on where to build and things of that nature? And he's like, why would they build on all of these random layer twos? How do you choose which layer two to build on when you can just build on a singular layer one? And it was almost kind of like Olaf didn't really, I'm not saying that he didn't understand. He's obviously a fantastic investor, founder of Polychain capital like you know huge respect followed him for a long time in the space but it's like a lot of them there's been so much noise over the years in terms of new protocols that didn't get any traction and things like that that you almost write off all of the new things as just being another shiny new thing mm -hmm. but at some point one of these is going to have serious staying power and so i think that that's why it's important to look at these nft volumes look at the where the communities are truly forming that's kind of what made it an easy bet Look at the the volumes of NFTs at any given day. There's three chains that are on there. It's Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Solana every single day. So that should kind of like pique your interest and say, what's going on over there? And so maybe keep a keep tabs on that going forward and just kind of look for new up and comers because that's where the on-chain on culture is going to develop. Well said. I can't wait until we deploy on uh, Emblem Vault on Solana. That's going to be exciting time. I'm ready to go through my Solana era, but I'm waiting for that that to happen so yeah, that I can yeah. really, really dive into it. Uh, I do theorize that uh, at some point in the future, you know, for Emblem, most people probably just mint vaults to Solana because it's just so much cheaper um, at that point and then move them around or to Bitcoin, I guess, depending on where the uh, gas fees are sats for per V-Byte. Um, Satoshi Club, thank you for being patient. Uh, what is on your mind? If you're there. Or you could just be hanging out. Or you're on mute if you are. Mute. Yeah, right. There you are. Hey, guys. Uh, 
No. Uh, okay. Can, can you guys hear me? Sorry. I'm, uh, yep. Yeah, we got you. I'm fiddling around with the phone. Yep, you're good. Hey, oh, thank you very much. Uh, and also, I wanted to say, uh, yeah, really loved listening to you there, Chris. That's uh, I, I actually cut my teeth over on Solana uh, a couple of, uh, sort of 18 months ago. So I really do think that there's a lot to be uh, explored. And, and when everybody likes to talk about maximal this, maximal that, I don't think maximal anything is the answer. Um, that's not the way that we all succeed. That's not where we innovate. And that's not where we push things forward. So uh, really interested to hear your take on what's going on over at Solana at the moment. And that's definitely something that we're paying attention to. Um, I just wanted to give a tiny update, which uh, so we were on the show with you guys uh, maybe a week or so ago, uh, and we were talking about uh, multi-sat uh, inscriptions. Uh, and so what, what I did was, I hope you don't mind, uh, is a bit rude, but I, I did put um, uh, our latest post um, up in the um, uh, up in the top of this space is just to show what we're talking about because I think last time we were talking about it and perhaps it got a little technical and it wasn't really that obvious what we were trying to do. Um, so so I put that up there just to sort of illustrate uh, where where we're going if you like and where we or why we think that this is uh, something interesting. So um, what we uh, just as a sort of small recap if you like, uh, what we were hoping to do is use the postage if you like the the padding that gets sent with uh, inscriptions um, and we wanted to see how we could better utilize that and what we were trying to do is see how interesting we could make that padding so what we did was we started off um, with a just a, a standard sort of uh, cursed um, a pfp a sort of a dynamic inscription that changes um, with uh, block height and so on uh, but what we did was we started off by putting that onto an uncommon sat um, and then we knit that together with every other type of sat that was going so essentially what we've done is we've got one pfp um, that is now sitting on an uncommon a block nine a 78 a palindrome and a pizza sat uh, so uh, we were we were kind of busy there let's uh, go putting, uh, that's awesome we, we, we were trying to put, put put all this together yeah yeah so uh it was an interesting, if you like, I hate to use the word experiment, but experiment is definitely what it is because it took us a while to figure out. And I say we in the broadest sense. So, you know, I, I'm uh, I am not the uh, I'm not the dev team. Uh, we've got some super hardworking guys um, over in Asia that have put this uh, put this experiment together, and I, I just get the privilege of coming on and, and talking to you guys a little bit about it. Uh, but it was just something that we thought might pique your interest. Um, you know, we've not we've not got anything to sell. We're not selling anything at all, but. We just, well, I mean, we have our projects, but today we would just wanted to talk about trying to move things forward and playing with that postage. And one of the comments from Leo last time we were talking about, ah, so how do we know that all of this just doesn't get lost every time you move your um, inscriptions around? Uh, and, and so what we were talking about a little bit there was the fact that those first 330 sats are essentially locked by Ord some marketplaces and some wallets so it is early um, i'm definitely not saying that if you keep moving these around that you can't lose parts of them yet because it really depends uh, how you do it um, but certainly the um, for example the, the likes of uh, magic eden and xverse and so on i think uh, that they they also lock those first 330 uh, sats so that's sort of pretty safe um, and what we're looking to do is we were talking to Leo about whether or not we could get UXTO exploration going on on Ord.io so we can actually see all the cool things that are going on inside the postage stamp, if you like, that goes along with your Satoshi. So that, that's sort of where we are. Um, and I just wanted to come on and share that with you guys. And obviously happy to take any questions uh, uh, and uh, sort of talk a little bit more about it if it's of interest. 
Well, first, congratulations. That is awesome. Uh, for those that weren't in that previous conversation, the joke was creating uh, a, what do we call it? A, a deep dish uh, pizza sat. Our <laughs> UTXO stat is all uh, pizza sats. And then uh, Satoshi Club came up and said that they're actually working on it already. So to see it actually done, congrats. That is that is awesome. I think I could see that becoming an actual meta or trend because there's so many rare stats that are out there. Just packaging them all together in one UTXO stat, uh, stack, I think, could be um, a fun, another fun game for people to play, um, which is ultimately what this all is at the end of the day. So congrats on that. Um, as promised, at the end, I said I was going to reveal something. So uh, I think this is the first time I've said this anywhere, that you know, uh, myself, Bunzi, and about eight other people have been working on something called Omniset for about eight months now. Um, and so I think coming December, Excuse me, you guys are finally going to uh, see what it is. Um, and I have to say, we've talked with, we've done a demo with pretty much everybody between Raf, ZK, Leo, um, Domo, pretty much everybody. And every single one of these people are extremely blown away with, with what the product is. So as long as it doesn't break, um, everyone thinks this is really going to change the game in terms of um, how... Uh, BRC20s are traded. It's essentially, um, you, it's essentially Uniswap on Bitcoin with a twist. So um, that should that marketing campaign should begin here, hopefully pretty soon, probably in the next week. Oh, you're not gonna tell us the twist? No, I can't. Oh, reveal yeah. no, way. no way, I cannot reveal all of it. I'm gonna leave a little bit out. Um, I'm truly blown away. I, I have to say, I have so much respect for people who build on Bitcoin. Watching. Um, <laughs> watching H Wonderland and Andrew and Bunzi and work on the de development side of Bitcoin and kind of having them explain everything, it is extremely difficult to build it's on. It's not Bitcoin. meant for building. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is tough, dude. I have so much more respect for people who build on Bitcoin. It is, it is absolutely insane. But I'm excited for the product, man. I'm a big believer in it. I, I had said this literally way back in April. I've, I even have our podcast we recorded we basically got a house in vegas back in april literally like three weeks into brc20 being created and was like yeah we need to create a uniswap for this basically um but it is a little bit more advanced than just a basic swap tool um and it took a lot of a lot of game planning to, to get there um and you know i have been i'm on recording saying i think whoever figures that out it's a multi-billion dollar opportunity there so this is us putting our our um you know, our entrance and saying that this is uh, what we hope it'll definitely, if, if, if uh, it's successful, it's going to um, destroy gas fees on Bitcoin. <laughs> so, uh, we'll, we'll piss off some more people. Um, if, if proven to um, not blow up in our face, we've <laughs> <laughs> been testing it and stuff. So uh, yeah, that, that marketing campaign, that stuff should be coming out um, here pretty soon. So Congrats, without further ado, yeah, exciting. thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. You know, um, there's a lot of cool crossover opportunities and everything of that, but I'll leave um, a little bit more of that for the mystery. But I appreciate everyone for coming on stage, man. Chris for the Solana takes and always the great takes. Um, Adam, Prism, Satoshi Club, everyone who joined who was on stage and not. This is a fun time. You know, the market talks, um, always fun to catch up with everybody. Again, you know, we do the show Tuesday through Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern time, talking everything, ordinals, inscriptions, collecting, cross-chain. That is everything that we love. We are not 
against any chain. We just like to follow where the action is. No tribalism allowed here, unless you're pumping my bags and maybe I'll be tribalistic <laughs> for a little bit. Uh, until then, guys, please, please enjoy uh, the rest of your Thursday and the weekend, and we'll see you back here on Tuesday. Bye.